Blog Talk Radio. So, um, who do you think are the heroes for this younger generation today? People like you with blog radio, the people found out that you blog radio shows, I mean, those are the heroes. Commend you for having this kind of discussion and commend your audience for listening. My pleasure. Have a good evening. Today, I am honored to have as my guest the mayor of Durham, North Carolina, Mayor William V. Bell. Well, I appreciate it, I admire you for, you know, taking on initiatives like this, you know. Thank you. Something I can do. Continue to listen to Shirley's show and uh, (laughs) you know others that haven't invite them to do so also. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Phil Perry. Well, the honor is mine. I uh, got this uh, information, as you well know, through the record company. You came very highly recommended. You're listening to Far Rock Live. Thank you so much for tuning into Far Rock Live tonight. This last Friday in the month of March, and here in Durham, it is very rainy. It's a very rainy evening tonight. Tonight's broadcast is going to be pre-recorded, and I have a special segment that I can't wait for you to hear. It's keeping in line with our theme, human relationships, how we can develop and improve our social skills and the way we relate to other people. But tonight is special because it talks about how you can relate and improve your relationship with the most important person in your life, and that is you. So this segment, I'm going to play um, a a portion of The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening to that, and might I suggest that you get a pencil and paper so you can take notes because you're going to want to do that. Before we begin the segment, on a sad note, unfortunately, um, here in Durham, North Carolina, and throughout the world, because this man was world-renowned, we lost a significant historian, uh, uh, um, an exquisite humanitarian and human being passed this past Wednesday, Dr. Um, John Hope Franklin was a historian. He was born in 1915, I believe, and he died, as I indicated, this past Wednesday, March 25th. He's quoted as saying that, I want to be out there on the firing line, helping, directing, and or doing something to try to make this a better world, a better place to live. And from all accounts of what I heard about this man, he lived his life just that way. Nothing but fabulous things have been said about him. And um, we here in the Durham community is definitely mourning the loss of this significant human being. He has um, lived through some amazing times in history. And one of the things that I'm so thankful for is that he had the chance to um, witness history that was made this year when we elected President Barack Obama into office, the first official um, African-American president for the United States of America. And John Hope Franklin was uh, a President Obama supporter, and President Obama sent his condolences to the Duke University community as well as Mr. Hope Franklin's family. John Hope Franklin was a scholar 
who helped to create the field of African-American history, and he dominated it for nearly 60 years. He lived for nearly a century and helped define that century, and that's what uh, Duke University's president, Richard Broadhead, had to say about uh, Mr. Franklin. Um, John Hope Franklin is perhaps best known to the public for his work on President Clinton's 1997 task force on race, but his reputation as a scholar was made in 1947 when, he, when his book, From Slavery to Freedom, A History of African Americans, was published, and it is still considered to be a definitive account of the black um, experience in America. And I'm reading excerpts from uh, his uh, obituary. Mr. Franklin had accumulated many honors during his long career, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the nation's highest honor any civilian can receive. He was also revered as a moral leader of the historical profession for his engagement in the pressing issues of the day and his unflaging advocacy of civil rights and his gracious and courteous demeanor. In virtually all of the many articles that have been written about John Hope, as he was called by many of his friends and colleagues, included words like distinguished or elegant. And he was devoted to his wife, who died um, a couple of years ago, well, actually a little more than 10 years ago in 1999. And he had a love of orchids, and he raised orchids in his home here in Durham. North Carolina, and he even had one named after him, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's spelled uh, P-H-A-L-A-E-N-O-P-S-I-S, John Hope Franklin. Wow. <laughs> and um, so Duke is doing, Duke University is doing quite a feature on him, and if you want more information about him, do visit Duke University's website at Duke. Um, .edu. So some of the other things that I'd like to mention about John Hope Franklin from this obituary is that he was also a prolific writer, and his books included The Emancipation Proclamation, The Militant South, The Free Negro in North Carolina, George Washington Williams, A Biography, and A Southern Odyssey. And Mr. Franklin received more than 130 honorary degrees and served as the Phi Beta Kappa Society president, the American Studies Association, the Southern Historical Association, the Organization of American History, and the American Historical Organization Association. In 2007, Mr. Franklin lent his formidable effort to the issue of reparations for African Americans. He returned to Oklahoma to testify in a hearing urging Congress to pass legislation that would clear the way for survivors of the Tulsa race riots of 1921, one of the nation's worst riots, to sue for reparations. Um, oh, also in 2001, Duke University opened the John Hope Franklin Center for Interdisciplinary and International Studies where scholars, artists, and members of the community 
have the opportunity to engage in public discourse on a variety of issues, including race, social equity, and globalization. And I've attended quite a lot of events that have been held there as well. Some of the comments of condolences have been received from President Barack Obama, and he's quoted as saying, because of the life John Hope Franklin lived, the public service he rendered, and the scholarship that was the mark of his distinguished career, we all have a rich understanding of who we are as Americans and our journey as people. Dr. Franklin will be deeply missed, but his legacy is one that will surely endure. Michelle and I send our thoughts and prayer to his loved ones as our nation mourns his loss. President Clinton also sent his condolences, and I'm not going to read them all. This will be the last one. President Clinton is quoted as saying, John Hope Franklin was one of the most important American historians of the 20th century and one of the people I most admire. I was honored he agreed to be the head of the President's Initiative on Race. He led his committee all over America to listen to people of all races, faiths, cultures, and classes. And he produced a remarkable report on the ways in which we remain divided along color lines and what he and what we can do about it. During the process, we became friends, and I learned a lot from him about history, politics, and life. He graced our country with his life, his scholarship, and his citizenship. Hillary and I will miss him very much. Our hearts and prayer goes out to his family and friends. I'd like to take a moment of silence, after which I want to do something special in honor of this great humanitarian. continue with our regularly scheduled broadcast. I am your host, Shirley. Thank you so much for tuning in to Far Rock Live. Today is the day your life turns around. Whether you know it or not, this message you're about to hear has magical quality about it. It seems that everyone who's heard it has had something profound happen in his or her life, something great. It seems to come into people's lives at just the right time. However you came across this message, it has found you. 
I'm certainly grateful it found me. You may not have heard my voice before, but by the end of this story, I know you'll know who I am. You see, human potential can happen at any time. I can just give you my experience and hope it's something that you can hook on to. Many years ago, I was in a desperate situation. All of a sudden, everything I believed in, I thought was false. Each and every one of us goes through that kind of stuff. I was in what I thought was a successful business one day, and the next day, because of the economy, as far as I was concerned, I was wiped out. I fell out of the sky and went bankrupt. And immediately I felt so bad about myself that I wanted to dust myself, because I thought my self-worth and my net worth were the same, which now I can tell you unequivocally are not. I came to the realization that I was trying to be someone else and not myself. I wanted to do everything, but I didn't know who I was or what life was even about. I'd lost my true sense of purpose. I was too young, too inexperienced, too unseasoned. I felt upside down. I had a double master's degree and went out to unload toilet paper off a railroad car for $2.14 an hour. My self-esteem if our grading on a scale of 1 to 10 was at a minus 2 or even 3. It was just a short time after working there that I remembered a very special message I once heard that had just wowed my soul. I searched desperately for the cassette that a friend had once given me. Matter of fact, it is the same message you're going to hear shortly. I found the tape, sat back, listened to it again and again, and slowly my attitude shifted. I felt relieved, relaxed like I had a chance to begin again. When this message first got out, everyone wanted to hear it. Years later, there's still an incredible demand for it. You see, as I was reminded that human potential could happen at any time, this message changed my life and my way of thinking. My hope is that it does the same for you without having to hit the bottom I did. I'm Mark Victor Hansen, and you may know me as a co-author of the popular world-renowned Chicken Soup for the Soul and One Minute Millionaire series. In some ways, that story seems like far away time, and in some ways, it seems like it just happened yesterday. As I was at my desk today, I contemplated the new, exciting, and sometimes scary lifestyle revolution of which we are a part. Daily, I'm told by people how their life is ever-changing and how unpredictable it is for them. Indeed, we find ourselves living much differently than the past generations. We live longer. We experience much, much more of what life has to offer. Major changes have occurred, like how we raise our children versus how we were raised, how we care for and nourish ourselves, how to develop our career path, and due to corporate downsizing, restructuring, and mergers, we have to adjust, often changing careers three or four times during our life. Sometimes we even make this change because our interests change. It seems everything from relationships to home life, to our need for new skill development, our search for spirituality, and even our retirement brings on changes that create anxiety and, more positively stated, excitement in our lives. So I thought for a while, what advice could I give someone? How could I help them? Where could they turn? What should they do? And then it came to me. I recall the message that for decades has held the secret of transforming life itself. It was delivered by the Dean of Personal Development, Earl Nightingale. The message was called The Strangest Secret. Now, Earl was no ordinary man. Rather, he was a man of creative genius, a world-renowned author and speaker, a man with enormous scope and knowledge. 
He was literally a man who inspired everyone who came in contact with him. On December 7, 1941, Earl was at Pearl Harbor, in a lookout tower on a battleship Arizona. A thousand men died in the Arizona. Earl was one of only a hundred who survived. After the war, Earl worked in the radio industry in both Phoenix and Chicago. He also owned his own insurance business. In 1956, he recorded a message for his insurance sales force. That message, the strangest secret, is what it has become one of the most famous recordings ever made. The Strangest Secret has sold millions of copies and is the only gold record ever achieved within a spoken word industry. Its message is simple yet profound and powerful. The Strangest Secret inspired so many people throughout the world that it is actually credited for launching the spoken word industry. For the next few moments, I invite you to sit back and relax. However, be prepared to have something deep inside of you get exposed, stirred, enriched. This could be the discovery that enables you to do literally everything and anything you wish to do smoothly and creatively for the rest of your life. Over the years, this discovery has been shared with anyone who would listen, and tremendous transformations have taken place for those who have followed the simple steps contained within this 30-minute message. Men and women who worked in companies rose to positions of senior management, becoming presidents and CEOs. People in politics have won elections. Salespeople have earned record-breaking commissions. Self-employed professionals and consultants attracted new clients and increased their incomes. Business owners saw their businesses and profits rise. People who were stuck in a wrong job have found their true calling. Those who dreamt of being their own boss discovered the springboard that led to their success. But the position, money, and visible signs of success were only a small part of what these people really gained. Now you will make alike discoveries as Earl Nightingale uncovers the strangest secret in the world for you too. His message is as valuable and pertinent today as it has ever been. For all of you who follow it, be prepared to leap to the top and we'll see you there. Now here is my friend Earl Nightingale. I'd like to tell you about the strangest secret in the world. Some years ago, the late Nobel Prize-winning Dr. Albert Schweitzer was being interviewed in London, and a reporter asked him, Doctor, what's wrong with men today? And the great doctor was silent a moment, and then he said, Men simply don't think. It's about this that I want to talk with you. We live today in a golden age. This is an era that man has looked forward to, dreamed of, and worked toward for thousands of years. But since it's here, we pretty well take it for granted. We in America are particularly fortunate to live in the richest land that ever existed on the face of the earth, a land of abundant opportunity for everyone. But do you know what happens? Well, let's take a hundred men who start even at the age of 25. Do you have any idea what will happen to those men by the time they're 65? These 100 men who all start even at the age of 25 believe they're going to be successful. If you asked any one of these men if he wanted to be a success, he'd tell you he did. And you'd notice that he was eager toward life, that there was a certain sparkle to his eye, an erectness to his carriage, and life seemed like a pretty interesting adventure to him. But by the time they're 65, one will be rich. Four will be financially independent. Five will still be working. Fifty-four will be broke. Now think a moment. Out of the 100, only five make the grade. Now why do so many fail? What has happened to the sparkle that was there when they were 25? What's become of the dreams, the hopes, the plans? And why is there such a large disparity between what these men intended to do 
and what they actually accomplished. When we say about 5% achieve success, we have to define success. And here's the best definition I've ever been able to find. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. If a man is working toward a predetermined goal and knows where he's going, that man is a success. If he's not doing that, he's a failure. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Rollo May, the distinguished psychiatrist, wrote a wonderful book called Man's Search for Himself. And in this book, he says, the opposite of courage in our society is not cowardice. It is conformity. And there you have the trouble today. It's conformity. People acting like everyone else without knowing why, without knowing where they're going. Now think of it. In America right now, there are over 18 million people, 65 years of age and older. And most of them are broke. They're dependent on someone else for life's necessities. Now we learn to read by the time we're seven. We learn to make a living by the time we're 25. Usually by that time, we're not only making a living, we're supporting a family. And yet by the time we're 65, we haven't learned how to become financially independent in the richest land that has ever been known. Why? We conform. And the trouble is that we're acting like the wrong percentage group, the 95 who don't succeed. Now why do these people conform? Well, they really don't know. These people believe that their lives are shaped by circumstances, by things that happen to them, by exterior forces. They're outer-directed people. A survey was made one time that covered a lot of men, working men, and these men were asked, Why do you work? Why do you get up in the morning? Nineteen out of twenty had no idea. If you ask them, they'll say, Well, everyone goes to work in the morning, and that's the reason they do it, because everyone else is doing it. Now, let's get back to our definition of success. Who succeeds? The only person who succeeds is the person who is progressively realizing a worthy ideal. He's the person who says, I'm going to become this, and then begins to work toward that goal. I'll tell you who the successful people are. A success is the school teacher who's teaching school because that's what he or she wants to do. The success is the woman who's a wife and mother because she wanted to become a wife and mother and is doing a good job of it. The success is the man who runs the corner gas station because that was his dream. That's what he wanted to do. The success is the successful salesman who wants to become a top-notch salesman and grow and build with his organization. A success is anyone who is doing deliberately a predetermined job because that's what he decided to do deliberately. But only one out of 20 does that. That's why today there isn't really any competition unless we make it for ourselves. Instead of competing, all we have to do is create. You know, for 20 years, I looked for the key which would determine what would happen to a human being. Was there a key I wanted to know which would make the future a promise that we could foretell to a large extent? Was there a key that would guarantee a person's becoming successful if he only knew about it and knew how to use it? Well, there is such a key, and I've found it. Have you ever wondered why so many men work so hard and honestly without ever achieving anything in particular? And others don't seem to work hard and yet seem to get everything? They seem to have the magic touch. You've heard them say that about someone. Everything he touches turns to gold. And have you ever noticed that a man who becomes successful tends to continue to become successful? And on the other hand, have you noticed how a man who's a failure tends to continue to fail? Well, it's because of goals. Some of us have goals, some don't. People with goals succeed because they know where they're going. It's that simple. Think of a ship leaving a harbor, and think of it with a complete voyage mapped out and planned. The captain and crew know exactly where it's going and how long it'll take. It has a definite goal. 
Now, 9,999 times out of 10,000, it will get to where it started out to get. Now, let's take another ship, just like the first, only let's not put a crew on it or a captain at the helm. Let's give it no aiming point, no goal, no destination. We just start the engines and let it go. I think you'll agree with me that if it gets out of the harbor at all, it will either sink or wind up on some deserted beach a derelict. It can't go any place because it has no destination and no guidance, and it's the same with a human being. Take the salesman, for example. There's no other person in the world today with the future of a good salesman. Selling is the world's highest paid profession, if we're good at it and if we know where we're going. Every company needs top-notch salesmen, and they reward those men. The sky's the limit for them. But how many can you find? Someone once said the human race is fixed, not to prevent the strong from winning, but to prevent the weak from losing. The American economy today can be likened to a convoy in time of war. The entire economy is slowed down to protect its weakest link, just as the convoy had to go at the speed that would permit its slowest vessel to remain in formation. That's why it's so easy to make a living today. It takes no particular brains or talent to make a living and support a family today. So we have a plateau of so-called security, if that's what a person's looking for. But we do have to decide how high above this plateau we want to aim. Now, let's get back to the strangest secret in the world, the story that I wanted to tell you today. Why do men with goals succeed in life and men without them fail? Well, let me tell you something which, if you really understand it, will alter your life immediately. If you understand completely what I'm going to tell you from this moment on, your life will never be the same again. You will suddenly find that good luck just seems to be attracted to you. The things you want just seem to fall in line, and from now on you won't have the problems, the worries, the gnawing lump of anxiety that perhaps you've experienced before. Doubt, fear, well, they'll be things of the past. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now, let me say that again. We become what we think about. Throughout all history, the great wise men and teachers, philosophers and prophets have disagreed with one another on many different things. It's only on this one point that they are in complete and unanimous agreement. Listen to what Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman emperor, said. A man's life is what his thoughts make of it. Disraeli said this, Everything comes if a man will only wait. I've brought myself by long meditation to the conviction that a human being with a settled purpose must accomplish it, and that nothing can resist a will that will stake even existence for its fulfillment. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, A man is what he thinks about all day long. William James said, The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. And he also said, We need only in cold blood act as if the thing in question were real, and it will become infallibly real by growing into such a connection with our life that it will become real. It will become so knit with habit and emotion that our interests in it will be those which characterize belief. And he also said, If you only care enough for a result, you will almost certainly attain it. If you wish to be rich, you will be rich. If you wish to be learned, you will be learned. If you wish to be good, you will be good. Only you must then really wish these things and wish them exclusively and not wish at the same time a hundred other incompatible things just as strongly. In the Bible, you read in Mark 9:23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. My old friend Dr. Norman Vincent Peale put it this way. 
This is one of the greatest laws in the universe. Fervently do I wish I had discovered it as a very young man. It dawned upon me much later in life, and I found it to be one of the greatest, if not my greatest discovery outside of my relationship to God. The great law, briefly and simply stated, is that if you think in negative terms, you will get negative results. If you think in positive terms, you will achieve positive results. That is the simple fact, he went on to say, which is at the basis of an astonishing law of prosperity and success. In three words, believe and succeed. William Shakespeare put it this way, Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. George Bernard Shaw said, People are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, make them. Well, it's pretty apparent, isn't it? And every person who discovered this for a while believed that he was the first one to work it out. We become what we think about. Now, it stands to reason that a person who's thinking about a concrete and worthwhile goal is going to reach it, because that's what he's thinking about, and we become what we think about. Conversely, the man who has no goal, who doesn't know where he's going, and whose thoughts must therefore be thoughts of confusion and anxiety and fear and worry, becomes what he thinks about. His life becomes one of frustration and fear and anxiety and worry. And if he thinks about nothing, he becomes nothing. Now, how does it work? Why do we become what we think about? Well, I'll tell you how it works, as far as we know. Now, to do this, I want to tell you about a situation that parallels the human mind. Suppose a farmer has some land, and it's good fertile land. Now, the land gives the farmer a choice. He may plant in that land whatever he chooses. The land doesn't care. It's up to the farmer to make the decision. Now, remember, we're comparing the human mind with the land because the mind, like the land, doesn't care what you plant in it. It will return what you plant, but it doesn't care what you plant. Now, let's say that the farmer has two seeds in his hand. One is a seed of corn. The other is nightshade, a deadly poison. He digs two little holes in the earth, and he plants both seeds, one corn, the other nightshade. He covers up the holes, waters, and takes care of the land, and what will happen? Invariably, the land will return what's planted. As it's written in the Bible, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Now, remember, the land doesn't care. It'll return poison in just as wonderful abundance as it will corn. So up come the two plants, one corn one poison. Now, the human mind is far more fertile, far more incredible and mysterious than the land, but it works the same way. It doesn't care what we plant. Success? Failure. A concrete, worthwhile goal? Or confusion? Misunderstanding? Fear? Anxiety? And so on. But what we plant, it must return to us. You see, the human mind is the last great unexplored continent on earth. It contains riches beyond our wildest dreams. It will return anything we want to plant. Now, you might say, well, if that's true, why don't people use their minds more? Well, I think they've figured out an answer to that one, too. Our mind comes as standard equipment at birth. It's free, and things that are given to us for nothing, we place little value on. Things that we pay money for, we value. The paradox is that exactly the reverse is true. Everything that's really worthwhile in life came to us free. Our minds, our souls, our bodies, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our intelligence, our love of family and children and friends and country, all these priceless possessions are free. But the things that cost us money are actually very cheap and can be replaced at any time. A good man can be completely wiped out and make another fortune. He can do that several times. Even if our home burns down, we can rebuild it. But the things we got for nothing, we can never replace. 
The human mind isn't used because we take it for granted. Familiarity breeds contempt. It can do any kind of job we assign to it, but generally speaking, we use it for little jobs instead of big important ones. Universities have proved that most of us are operating on about 10% or less of our abilities. So decide now. What is it you want? Plant your goal in your mind. It's the most important decision you ever make in your entire life. What is it you want? Do you want to be an outstanding salesman? A better worker at your particular job? Do you want to go places in your company? In your community? Do you want to get rich? All you've got to do is plant that seed in your mind, care for it, work steadily toward your goal, and it will become a reality. It not only will, there's no way that it cannot. You see, that's a law, like the laws of Sir Isaac Newton, the laws of gravity. If you get on top of a building and jump off, you'll always go down. You'll never go up, and it's the same with all the other laws of nature. They always work. They're inflexible. Think about your goal in a relaxed, positive way. Picture yourself in your mind's eye as having already achieved this goal. See yourself doing the things you will be doing when you've reached your goal. Ours has been called the phenobarbital age, the age of ulcers and nervous breakdowns and tranquilizers, at a time when medical research has raised us to a new plateau of good health and longevity. Far too many of us worry ourselves into an early grave, trying to cope with things in our own little personal ways, without learning a few great laws that will take care of everything for us. These things we bring on ourselves through our habitual way of thinking. Every one of us is the sum total of his own thoughts. He is where he is because that's exactly where he really wants to be, whether he'll admit that or not. Each of us must live off the fruit of his thoughts in the future because what you think today and tomorrow, next month and next year, will mold your life and determine your future. You're guided by your mind. I remember one time I was driving through eastern Arizona and I saw one of those giant earth-moving machines roaring along the road at about 35 miles an hour with what looked like 30 tons of dirt in it. A tremendous, incredible machine. And there was a little man perched way up on top with the wheel in his hands guiding it. And as I drove along, I was struck by the similarity of that machine to the human mind. Just suppose you're sitting at the controls of such a vast source of energy. Are you going to sit back and fold your arms and let it run itself into a ditch? Or are you going to keep both hands firmly on the wheel and control and direct this power to a specific, worthwhile purpose? It's up to you. You're in the driver's seat. You see, the very law that gives us success is a two-edged sword. We must control our thinking. The same rule that can lead a man to a life of success, wealth, happiness, and all the things he ever dreamed of for himself and his family. That very same law can lead him into the gutter. It's all in how he uses it, for good or for bad. This is the strangest secret in the world. Now, why do I say it's strange, and why do I call it a secret? Actually, it isn't a secret at all. It was first promulgated by some of the earliest wise men, and it appears again and again throughout the Bible, but very few people have learned it, understand it. That's why it's strange, and why for some equally strange reason it virtually remains a secret. I believe that you could go out and walk down the main street of your town and ask one man after another what the secret of success is, and you probably wouldn't run into one man in a month who could tell you. Now, this information is enormously valuable to us if we really understand it and apply it. It's valuable to us not only for our own lives, but the lives of those around us, our families, employees, associates, and friends. Life should be an exciting adventure. It should never be a bore. A man should live fully, be alive. He should be glad to get out of bed in the morning. He should be doing a job he likes to do because he does it well. 
One time I heard Grove Patterson, the great late editor-in-chief of the Toledo Daily Blade, make a speech. And as he concluded his speech, he said something I've never forgotten. He said, My years in the newspaper business have convinced me of several things. Among them, that people are basically good. And that we came from someplace, and we're going someplace. So we should make our time here an exciting adventure. The architect of the universe didn't build a stairway leading nowhere. And the greatest teacher of all, the carpenter from the plains of Galilee, gave us the secret time and time again. As ye believe, so shall it be done unto you. So the main point is you become what you think about most of the time. The question is, what do you think about? How do you think about it? The answer to that question contains the key to all the results that you have gotten in your life to this point, and all the results that you will achieve in the future. Now, whether you like the results that you have achieved in your life thus far or not, this insight is tremendously empowering. It says that you are the creator of your own life. You are the artist, the sculptor. And by asking yourself this question, you can make the decision this very moment to make your life a work of art, a masterpiece. And I should know, because this is exactly what I did over 15 years ago. I was nearly 40 years old, had a beautiful wife, two daughters that would make any father proud. I was the author of several audio programs on personal development and was a consultant to corporations from a variety of industries. Yet despite all these gifts, my own career had not reached the level that I knew I was capable of. Somewhere in the deep recesses of my subconscious, I had a big idea that was brewing, but it lay dormant, waiting for the fertilizer of my creative thought to help it grow. At this point, I remembered Earl's maxim that I had heard many years ago, just as you did. We become what we think about. And I decided it was time to take my thinking more seriously. The big idea that lay dormant for many years was a series of books that would contain inspirational and heartwarming stories on a variety of topics. A series of books that could be understood by anyone from the age of 12 to 112. Most importantly, a series of books that would contain real stories of everyday people who made life better for themselves and others. I nurtured and thought about this concept for several years, getting feedback from my family friends, business associates, perfecting the idea with each passing day. Then my good friend Jack Canfield and I took the idea one step further, putting our collective thinking together into a business plan for our new book series that we called Chicken Soup for the Soul. That lone thought lurking in my subconscious for many years that my friend Jack and I had finally the courage to nurture and grow has become a multi-million dollar idea, one of the biggest successes in the publishing industry. That lone idea has the potential to be the first billion dollar book series. So what are you thinking about? And how are you thinking about it? Do you have an idea lurking in your subconscious that you have not had the courage to nurture? Bring that idea to the fore. Fertilize it with your imagination and make it grow. Who knows? You might have your own billion-dollar idea waiting to be discovered. For the remainder of this message, Earl will get more personal with you. He'll encourage you to make a commitment to yourself. He will explain to you just how you can make your every dream come true. I know you'll enjoy the journey, so grab a pencil and a piece of paper. 
Ready yourself for a successful voyage of personal discovery and realization of your most deeply held aspirations. Now here again is Earl Nightingale. I've explained the strangest secret in the world and how it works. Now on this side I want to explain how you can prove to yourself the enormous returns possible in your own life by putting this secret to a practical test. I want you to make a test that will last 30 days. It isn't going to be easy, but if you'll give it a good try, it will completely change your life for the better. Now back in the 17th century, Sir Isaac Newton, the English mathematician and natural philosopher, gave us some natural laws of physics which apply as much to human beings as they do to the movement of bodies in the universe. And one of these laws is that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Simply stated, as it applies to you and me, it means we can achieve nothing without paying the price. The results of your 30-day experiment will be in direct proportion to the effort you put forth. To be a doctor, you must pay the price of long years of difficult study. To be successful in selling, and remember that each of us succeeds to the extent of his ability to sell. Selling our families on our ideas, selling education in schools, selling our children on the advantages of living the good and honest life. Selling our associates and employees on the importance of being exceptional people. To, of course, the profession of selling itself. But to be successful in selling our way to the good life, we must be willing to pay the price. Now, what is that price? Well, it's many things. First, it's understanding emotionally as well as intellectually that we literally become what we think about, that we must control our thoughts if we're to control our lives. It's understanding fully that as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Second, it's cutting away all fetters from the mind and permitting it to soar as it was divinely designed to do. It's the realization that your limitations are self-imposed and that the opportunities for you today are enormous beyond belief. It's rising above narrow-minded pettiness and prejudice. And third, it's using all your courage to force yourself to think positively on your own problem, to set a definite and clearly defined goal for yourself, to let your marvelous mind think about your goal from all possible angles, to let your imagination speculate freely upon many different possible solutions, to refuse to believe that there are any circumstances sufficiently strong to defeat you in the accomplishment of your purpose, to act promptly and decisively when your course is clear, and to keep constantly aware of the fact that you are, at this moment, standing in the middle of your own acres of diamonds, as Russell Conwell used to point out. And fourth, save at least 10% of every dollar you earn. It's also remembering that no matter what your present job, it has enormous possibilities, if you're willing to pay the price. Now let's just go over the important points in the price each of us must pay to achieve the wonderful life that can be ours. It is, of course, worth any price. One, you will become what you think about. Two, remember the word imagination and let your mind begin to soar. Three, courage. Concentrate on your goal every day. Four, save 10% of what you earn. And five, action. Ideas are worthless unless we act on them. Now, I'll try to outline the 30-day test I want you to make. Keep in mind that you have nothing to lose by making this test and everything you could possibly want to gain. There are two things that may be said of everyone. Each of us wants something, and each of us is afraid of something. I want you to write on a card what it is you want more than anything else. It may be more money. Perhaps you'd like to double your income or make a specific amount of money. It may be a beautiful home. It may be success at your job. It may be a particular position in life. It could be a more harmonious family. Each of us wants something. Now write down on your card specifically what it is you want. 
Make sure it's a single goal and clearly defined. You needn't show it to anyone, but carry it with you so that you can look at it several times a day. Think about it in a cheerful, relaxed, positive way each morning when you get up. And immediately you have something to work for, something to get out of bed for, something to live for. Look at it every chance you get during the day and just before going to bed at night. And as you look at it, remember that you must become what you think about. And since you're thinking about your goal, you realize that soon it will be yours. In fact, it's yours really the moment you write it down and begin to think about it. Look at the abundance all around you as you go about your daily business. You have as much right to this abundance as any other living creature. It's yours for the asking. Now we come to the difficult part. Difficult because it means the formation of what is probably a brand new habit, and new habits are not easily formed. Once formed, however, it will follow you for the rest of your life. Stop thinking about what it is you fear. Each time a fearful or negative thought comes into your consciousness, replace it with a mental picture of your positive and worthwhile goal. And there will come times when you feel like giving up. It's easier for a human being to think negatively than positively. That's why only 5% are successful. You must begin now to place yourself in that group. For 30 days, you must take control of your mind. It will think about only what you permit it to think about. Each day for this 30-day test, do more than you have to do. In addition to maintaining a cheerful, positive outlook, give of yourself more than you've ever done before. Do this knowing that your returns in life must be in direct proportion to what you give. The moment you decide on a goal to work toward, you're immediately a successful person. You are then in that rare and successful category of people who know where they're going. Out of every hundred people, you belong to the top five. Don't concern yourself too much with how you're going to achieve your goal. Leave that completely to a power greater than yourself. All you have to do is know where you're going. The answers will come to you of their own accord and at the right time. Remember these words from the Sermon on the Mount, and remember them well. Keep them constantly before you this month of your test. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. In fact, it's so simple that in our seemingly complicated world, it's difficult for an adult to understand that all he needs is a purpose and faith. For 30 days, do your very best. If you're a salesman, go at it as you've never done before, not in a hectic fashion, but with the calm, cheerful assurance that time well spent will give you the abundance in return you deserve and want. If you're a homemaker, devote your 30-day test to completely giving of yourself without thinking about receiving anything in return, and you'll be amazed at the difference it makes in your life. No matter what your job, do it as you've never done it before for 30 days. And if you've kept your goal before you every day, you'll wonder and marvel at this new life you've found. Dorothea Brand, the outstanding editor and writer, discovered it for herself and tells about it in her fine book, Wake Up and Live. Her entire philosophy is reduced to the words... Act as though it were impossible to fail. She made her own test with sincerity and faith, and her entire life was changed to one of overwhelming success. Now, you make your test for 30 full days. Don't start your test until you've made up your mind to stick with it. You see, by being persistent, you're demonstrating faith. Persistence is simply another word for faith. If you didn't have faith, you'd never persist. If you should fail during your first 30 days, by that I mean suddenly find yourself overwhelmed by negative thoughts, you've got to start over again from that point and go 30 more days. 
Gradually, your new habit will form until you find yourself one of that wonderful minority to whom virtually nothing is impossible. And don't forget the card. It's vitally important as you begin this new way of living. On one side of the card, write your goal, whatever it may be. On the other side, write the words we've quoted from the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Shortly after this recording over 50 years ago, Earl Nightingale was struck by a powerful thought. While many different books inspired Earl, like the ones he just mentioned, he thought it was a paradox that he was recommending books to people who were listening to an audio recording. What if, he thought, these powerful books were available on tape cassette, where they could be listened to anytime, anywhere, over and over and over again? Why, it could change the way people learned. It could help people to master any subject matter through repeated listening while they're doing some of the tasks. Not only would this form of learning be more efficient, it would also be far more effective. Well, Earl was the man who walked his talk. He decided to develop his idea of widespread audio learning by teaming up with one of the wisest business minds he knew, Mr. Lloyd Conant. By the way, can you see a pattern in the implementation of great ideas? Both Earl and myself didn't try to do it alone. We each formed a vital partnership with another person that we deeply respected, somebody who complimented us to make our ideas a reality. Well, Earl and Lloyd teamed up over 45 years ago to found the Nightingale Kona Corporation. Their first full-scale audio program was an expansion of this strangest secret message. They called it Lead the Field. That program became one of the best-selling audio programs in the history of selling well over a million copies. Today, Nightingale Conant has over 300 active audio titles in personal and spiritual development. Programs like Unleash the Power Within by Tony Robbins, The Secrets to Manifesting Your Destiny by Dr. Wayne Dyer, Rich Dad Secrets by Robert Kiyosaki, The Power of the Mind to Heal by Joan Borisenko, and Dreams Don't Have Deadlines by yours truly. You can find out more about Nightingale Conant's amazing line of products by calling one of their customer consultants at 1-800-525-9000. That's 1-800-525-9000. Or by visiting their website at nightingale.com. That's www.nightingale.com. I've been a regular listener of Nightingale Conant programs myself for years, and I credit the ideas I have gained from these programs as a major reason for my incredible success. The mission of Nightingale Conant is simple, yet marvelous to help people to realize their full potential by taking them from where they are now to where they want to be. And it all began with this life-changing message, The Strangest Secret. And now, let's return to Earl's words of wisdom. Nothing great was ever accomplished without inspiration. See that during these crucial first 30 days, your own inspiration is kept to the peak. And above all, don't worry. Worry brings fear, and fear is crippling. The only thing that can cause you to worry during your test is trying to do it all yourself. Know that all you have to do is hold your goal before you. Everything else will take care of itself. Remember also to keep calm and cheerful. Don't let petty things annoy you and get you off course. Now, since making this test is difficult, some will say, why should I bother? Well, look at the alternative. No one wants to be a failure. No one really wants to be a mediocre individual. No one wants a life constantly filled with worry and fear and frustration. Therefore, remember that you must reap that which you sow. If you sow negative thoughts, your life will be filled with negative things. 
If you sow positive thoughts, your life will be cheerful, successful, and positive. Now, gradually, you will have a tendency to forget what you've heard on this recording. Play it often. Keep reminding yourself of what you must do to form this new habit. Gather your whole family around at regular intervals and listen to what's been said here. You know, most men will tell you that they want to make money without understanding the law. The only people who make money work in a mint. The rest of us must earn money. This is what causes those who keep looking for something for nothing or a free ride to fail in life. The only way to earn money is by providing people with services or products which are needed and useful. We exchange our time and our product or service for the other man's money. Therefore, the law is that our financial return will be in direct proportion to our service. Now, success is not the result of making money. Making money is the result of success, and success is in direct proportion to our service. Most people have this law backwards. They believe that you're successful if you earn a lot of money. The truth is that you can only earn money after you're successful. It's like the story of the man who sat in front of the stove and said to it, Give me heat, and then I'll add the wood. How many men and women do you know, or do you suppose there are today, who take the same attitude toward life? There are millions. We've got to put the fuel in before we can expect heat. Likewise, we've got to be of service first before we can expect money. Don't concern yourself with the money. Be of service, build, work, dream, create. Do this and you'll find there's no limit to the prosperity and abundance will come to you. Prosperity, you know, is founded upon a law of mutual exchange. Any person who contributes to prosperity must prosper in turn himself. Sometimes the return will not come from those you serve, but it must come to you from someplace, because that's the law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. As you go daily through your 30-day test period, remember that your success will always be measured by the quality and quantity of service you render, and money is a yardstick for measuring this service. No man can get rich himself unless he enriches others. Now, there are no exceptions to a law. You can drive down any street in America and from your car estimate the service that's being rendered by the people living on that street. Had you ever thought of this yardstick before? It's interesting. Some, like ministers and priests and other devoted people, measure their returns in the realm of the spiritual. But again, their returns are equal to their service. Once this law is fully understood, any thinking person can tell his own fortune. If he wants more, he must be of more service to those from whom he receives his return. If he wants less, he has only to reduce his service. This is the price you must pay for what you want. If you believe you can enrich yourself by deluding others... You can end only by deluding yourself. It may take some time, but just as surely as you breathe, you'll get back what you put out. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking you can avert this. It's impossible. The prisons and the streets where the lonely walk are filled with people who tried to make new laws just for themselves. We may avoid the laws of man for a while, but there are greater laws that cannot be broken. An outstanding medical doctor recently pointed out six steps that will help you realize success. One, set yourself a definite goal. Two, quit running yourself down. Three, stop thinking of all the reasons why you cannot be successful and instead think of all the reasons why you can. Four, trace your attitudes back through your childhood and try to discover where you first got the idea you couldn't be successful, if that's the way you've been thinking. Five, change the image you have of yourself by writing out a description of the person you would like to be. And six, act the part of the successful person you have decided to become. The doctor who wrote those words is a noted West Coast psychiatrist, Dr. David Harold Fink. 
Do what the experts since the dawn of recorded history have told you you must do. Pay the price by becoming the person you want to become. It's not nearly as difficult as living unsuccessfully. Make your 30-day test, then repeat it, then repeat it again. And each time it will become more a part of you until you'll wonder how you could ever have lived any other way. Live this new way and the floodgates of abundance will open and pour over you more riches than you may have dreamed existed. Money? Yes, lots of it. But what's more important, you'll have peace. You'll be in that wonderful minority who lead calm, cheerful, successful lives. Start today. You have nothing to lose, but you have a whole life to win. This is Earl Nightingale, and thank you. The main point remains... Was that dynamic information or not? I'll say it again. The subject of human relation is so vast and multifaceted. This element of self-improvement is essential as we grow and develop into becoming people who respect self first and subsequently will respect other life form. We tend to take life for granted and tend to forget that we only get one life to live. So why not be the best that you can be and treat people the way that you want to be treated? If you've enjoyed this show tonight, leave a comment. And I also invite you to visit us at our new website at www.farrocklive.net. And on that site, you'll be able to blog and leave a comment as well. I am your host, Shirley, and thank you so much for listening to Far Rock Live, and I look forward to coming to you next week. Have a terrific weekend.